come be with us for that. Are you in Judges 19? As we are coming to a, a, an end of the book of Judges, uh, God laid out two very uh, difficult times in Israel's history during the rule of the judges uh, to help us get a, an understanding uh, of what, what spiritually life was like in Israel in those days. Uh, we know that the theme here is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, is that a good plan? No. Uh, Proverbs tells us, I believe twice, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Um, we're supposed to do that which is right in the sight of God. And how do we know what that is? We got the Bible for that. Did they have the Bible? Yes or no? Yeah, they had the written word of God, not as much as we do, uh, but they had enough that, that should have kept them away from the idolatry, the immorality, um, and the decadence even of their society, but uh, they, they, they didn't take heed to that. The first example uh, was a young Levite man uh, who traveled out of Bethlehem, Judah, and went and uh, joined with a guy named Micah, who had a house of idols. And... Uh, uh, this, this Levite had no convictions. He, just, he was just looking for a job. He, it seemed to pay well. And Micah rejoiced because he thought God's going to bless him because now he has a Levite being his priest, even though at the same time he's got a house full of idols. Uh, eventually, we saw that uh, the, the tribe of Dan came along and they were looking for, uh, to expand their territory and on their way, uh, they came by the house of Micah, saw the Levite, and uh, they said, hey, instead of just being a priest to one household, why don't you come be a priest to an entire tribe, a whole family in Israel? And the Levite thought, man, I just got a promotion. Ain't God good? And he went, uh, took all the idols with him, and the tribe of Dan went into idolatry from which the Bible says uh, they never escaped that until the Assyrian captivity in 722 B.C., so that was the first scenario. The second was uh, we, we met another man from Bethlehem, Judah. Um, he also was a Levite, and uh, he, he uh, had a concubine. We discussed that. It wasn't an immoral situation. It was a legal arrangement, and she cheated on him. She fell away and went back home to her daddy in, in uh, Bethlehem. And uh, after a few months, uh, the Bible says he arose and went to speak to her in a friendly manner. He wanted to restore the relationship uh, and so forth. Her, uh, his father-in-law was happy about that. But if you remember the father-in-law, every morning when the guy would get up and say, okay, we got to get home. Uh, the father-in-law would say, hey, why don't you have a bite to eat? You know, don't, don't rush off. Let's, let's do this. And the day would wear on and pretty soon, ah, it's late. Spend the night. So they did. And that happened two or three times. And, and uh, finally, on the last day, the, they, uh, they were feasting a little bit. And the, the, the man said, if I don't leave now, I'm never going to get home. It'll be the same thing tomorrow. And so they left, but they left Bethlehem uh, very, very late in the day. Travel at night uh, was dangerous for a lot of reasons. Number one, you couldn't see. Uh, they did not have paved nice roads at that time. Uh, they were cart tracks, sometimes animal trails, uh, that type of thing. And so traveling could be dangerous and difficult because you could easily, uh, and uh, if you had an animal, and we know that they did, uh, it could step into a hole or step on a rock or whatever. Uh, if the animal breaks its leg, you're, you know, you're, you're out of business or the people walking, the same could happen. 
Not only that, uh, there, were, there was the danger of bandits uh, that attacked travelers that are out at night, especially small groups of travelers. But the man left, and uh, so they're, they're headed home, verse 11, when they were by Jebus, uh, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, let us turn into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. The Jebusites were a Canaanite tribe. They were a tribe that Israel was supposed to drive out of the land, but they did not. Remember, in the early chapters uh, of the book of Judges, we found out they had some incomplete obedience. Um, and they left some of the people there content to tax them and gain some wealth from it, uh, but, but it, it, they shouldn't have done so. The Jebusites in this city called Jebus was one of those Canaanite strongholds. His master said in them, verse 12, we will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, come and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. Both of those were cities. Uh, that were in the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, they didn't want to stay in Jebus. What's another name for Jebus? Anybody remember? Jerusalem. David would one day conquer it and make that their capital city uh, where, where it remains today. Um, he didn't want to stay there because it was, it was Jebusites. Uh, he had no idea what their culture was like. He had no idea, was he going to expose himself, his, his concubine, his servants uh, to sin, to corruption? Would they be putting themselves in danger? Uh, the Canaanites had a different set of laws by which they, they governed themselves, and they were, they were often not very good laws, sometimes very lawless people. So he said, no, no, I don't think it's a good idea to stay here with the heathen. Let's travel a little further. And they ended up in the city of Gibeah, verse 14, that belongs to Benjamin. They walked in, the sun is going down. Uh, in those days, when the sun went down, uh, they rolled up the sidewalks, all the businesses shut, and, you know, that type of thing. And uh, we learned that the man was going to lodge in the street all night long until an older man uh, came in from his fields. And he saw them there. Turns out he and this Levite were both from Mount Ephraim. And the man said, look, why don't you stay with me tonight? I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. I got plenty of room. Uh, we'll take care of your animals. And it was that Middle Eastern hospitality. We've talked about that uh, just a little bit. And so they planned to spend the night there. Uh, verse 22, we saw last Sunday, now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, Belial's another name for, for Satan, beset the house roundabout and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man saying, bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. Uh, they weren't looking for an introduction. Uh, they weren't looking to take him out to dinner. Uh, they, they, they wanted to sodomize him. Uh, it's the exact same phrase that the men of Sodom used uh, when they surrounded Lot's house and, and the angels were there and they said, bring them out that we may know them. Uh, so this is a this is a this is not what that man expected. Uh, he might have expected that in Jebus, but not in Gibeah. Jebus, they're heathen. Um, uh, Gibeah was a tribe of Benjamin. Can you hold your place here and turn to First Corinthians uh, chapter number five? First Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat> Corinthian, the church at Corinth 
by the time this letter from Paul was written, had become a very carnal church. He told them in chapter three, he said, ye are carnal, you're not spiritual. A lot of sin, a lot of issues in the church. But look at chapter five, verse one. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So here within the church, uh, there's a man living in immorality either with his mother or his stepmother. The Bible just says it was his father's wife. And notice what Paul says, this sin is not so much as named among the Gentiles. He's saying even the heathen know that's wrong. And and here it is in the church. And ye are puffed up, he says, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Uh, They weren't grieved about it at all. Uh, They were maybe bragging about how uh, kind and open, uh, you know, minded they were and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I point that out there. This, uh, you know, Paul is saying, I, I can't believe that that's going on inside the church. Well, this young Levite, uh, you know, he's, he's with God's people, he thought, and uh, found out that they were, they were wicked. Uh, the, the older man said, nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you do not so wickedly, in verse 23, seeing that this man has come into mine house, do not this folly. For this to happen, that older man would have lost his credibility. It was an attack on his honor to allow one of his guests to come to harm. And then the the old man did similar to what Lot did in Genesis 19. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them. Do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. Not only were the men of Gibeah twisted in their, their immorality and their thinking and their, their, just everything about them. You understand, do you, do you see how far this older man had drifted that he thought that that was a good plan? We, we mentioned this last week. I asked how many of us with a daughter would have sent our daughter out to a bunch of animals like that. And um, it was unanimous. None of us would. Uh, there, there, is, there is no way that was going to happen. Um, and, uh, but the men would not hearken to him, so the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. The man just opened the door and said, here, uh, here she is. We don't, we don't know that the old man did anything. He saved his daughter. Um, and again, now we see this Levi, what in the world was he thinking? Uh, technically, that's his wife. Legally, that's his wife. Uh, she doesn't have the same standing as, as a wife would have because she's called a concubine, but she's hers. He's, he's made an agreement with her um, and an arrangement with her. It's his job to protect and provide for her, uh, to be there for her, and he is throwing her to the wolves. It is amazing when we start drifting away from the Bible how far we end up drifting. Think about that. Uh, once we start changing It is very, very hard to stop the change, especially if it's a change downhill. When I was in Bible college, uh, we were not far from Indiana Dunes State Park. It was right on the shores of Lake Michigan, and uh, you would have thought that you were somewhere south, uh, you know, with sandy beaches and all of that, and, and literally it lives up to its name, Indiana Dunes, huge sand dunes. Uh, that are there, and it is a state park. Um, and we would sometimes take our Bible club kids there for a Saturday a- um, activity. And as you're running up those dunes, 
uh, sand is a very unstable thing. And once you start running up the dunes, you have to keep the, the forward momentum because if you stop, you automatically start sliding down with the sand. And once you start sliding down, it is almost impossible on the really steep dunes uh, to get your footing and go, you know, start going forward again. So it is when we start drifting away from the word of God. Uh, oh, it's just a little thing. Well, little things have a way of becoming big things. They, they really do. Um, and so we're seeing in this whole story, uh, the Levite uh, seemed to be a man of honor by the beginning of this chapter, but now all of a sudden we find him willing to compromise. I guess he's looking out for number one, looking out for his own safety. Um, I, I don't know what thought, thought process went through his mind. Well, you know, she was unfaithful to me. She deserves whatever she gets. It, it, it makes no difference. He, he supposedly uh, wanted that relationship restored, but he sent her out there. Uh, the, and the Bible says they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. When the day began to spring, they let her go. Um, uh, undoubtedly, this woman's screaming, pleading, crying. Um, to my mind, undoubtedly, that Levite man and the old man who hosted him had to have known that she was suffering, but it seems nobody's lifting a finger to help her. Uh, then came the woman, verse 26, in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. Uh, her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house. Her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, up and let us be going. It, it's, do you see how impersonal this thing became? You know, here she's laying there. She's got to be a horrible mess. Uh, we, her, hands, her hands are on the threshold, gives us the idea. She's laying there face down, and he just opens the door and said, okay, come on, let's go. As if, as if nothing's happened, as if this is just, you know, whatever. Uh, but none answered. She's dead. She passed away. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and got him into his place. He traveled all the way back to Mount Ephraim. When he was come into his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones into 12 pieces and sent her into all the coast of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said there was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider of it, take, it, take advice and speak your minds. So what he did was beyond gruesome. We don't know if it was anger. We don't know if it was grief. Uh, th this Levite is somewhat of a confusing uh, individual, but uh, he has suffered great harm. He has to have been disillusioned that this happened in a Jewish city. This didn't happen in Jebus with the, the Canaanites. This happened with people who proclaimed to be the children of God. Um, and so he, he sends it out to the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and it sounds like there was some type of a message or messenger that went with that. It's, they didn't have the postal system. So it's, you know, it's not like they just called UPS, some come pick up a package. And, you know, uh, so somebody had to hand deliver it, probably explained a little bit about it. And the whole nation's going to get involved in this. Chapter 20, verse 1. That's where we left off last Sunday. Then all the children of Israel went out. And the congregation was gathered together as one man from Dan, even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead, unto the Lord in Mizpah. Uh, Mizpah was a place where they often came to meet with the Lord in those days. Um, and uh, it, it, it has a history that goes all the way back to Jacob. 
And so uh, uh, from, from all corners uh, of the nation of Israel, they came together. The chief of the people, verse 2, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. Uh, they're, they're coming for battle. Uh, the whole nation's in an uproar. And uh, so you got an army now of 400,000 footmen that are there. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpah. Then said the children of Israel, tell us, how was this wickedness? The tribe of Benjamin heard about it. Evidently, they weren't invited to the party on this one. They just heard about it. And uh, the Levite, uh, in verse number four, begins to answer the, the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came into Gibeah that belongeth to Benjamin, I and my concubine to lodge. The men of Gibeah rose against me, beset the house round up upon me by night, and thought to have slain me, and my concubine have they forced that she is dead. And I took my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold... You are all the children of Israel. Give here your advice and counsel. So he told the story. He said, I sent it out. I sent it this way because this kind of wickedness shouldn't have been named uh, in our land. And, and he's doing some vigilante justice here, if you will, um, and, and so forth. Um, but the people listened to him. Are his grievances sound? Yes or no? Is he justified in his anger and his grievances? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, those, those men, the Bible says they were uh, sons of Belial. What they did was wicked. It was wrong in every single aspect. So his grievances are justified one. All the people rose as one man. There was a unity uh, amongst all these people saying, we will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we any of us turn into his house. But now this shall be the thing which we will do to Gibeah, we will go up by lot against it, meaning we're going to draw lots as to which tribe's army goes first. And we will take 10 men of an hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel and a hundred of a thousand and a thousand out of 10,000 to fetch victual for the people that they may do when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, according to all the folly that they've wrought in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. It's one of the few times there's a unity in the entire nation. Oftentimes, as we've studied through the judges, they were kind of like localized. Um, Samson was a judge who came out of Dan. A little bit of his, his uh, ministry, if you will, was in the tribe of Judah. Uh, but his influence didn't really affect the rest of the tribes of the, the nation of Israel. The same thing with Gideon, some of the others. Uh, they, were, they were more localized. Uh, this is one of the few times the entire nation got on the same page. They're knit together as one man, um, and they are, they are rightfully outraged over the sin and the crime that has taken place. So they're coming to Gibeah, uh, where the crime was committed. And uh, look at verse 12. And the tribes uh, of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, what wickedness is this that is done among you? Now, therefore, deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. Um, this is one of the few times somebody's acting according to the word of God. Um, the, the punishment from murder, 
in, in the Old Testament law was that those who committed the crime should be put to death themselves. You, you've not only got murder, uh, you've got rape, you've got, you've got all kinds of wickedness that was done there. And they're saying, just deliver us the men that did it. That's, 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 that's it. And justice will be done um, and so forth. Uh, is that a reasonable thing to say? Sure, uh, very much so. But look at the answer, verse 13, the second sentence, that the, the, the whole tribe of Benjamin, but the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. Um, there's no doubt that a crime's been done. Uh, but the, the tribe of Benjamin made a really bizarre decision. They said, uh, doesn't matter what they did, that's our family. They're of our tribe. And, and we're going we're gonna to protect our tribe. Should they have been protecting those men, yes or no? No. But it's, you know, it's amazing uh, sometimes in, in, in 43 years of ministry, I've seen it happen uh, you know, over and over again. Uh, people are very, very quick to judge the sins of other people, but all of a sudden when it becomes their child or their family or their circle of friends, even though wrong has been done, they'll circle the wagons and, and they'll, they'll defend that because, well, that's my friend or that's my family. Yeah, I understand that, uh, but that, that doesn't make what your friend or your family member did uh, right. It's still wrong. It still needs to be biblically handled. Uh, so the entire tribe of Benjamin, uh, they're standing up against an army of 400,000 people. Um, uh, a tenth of those people, uh, 40,000 of them, their whole job is to supply food and, and, and suffer this massive army um, and so forth. Um, and Benjamin makes a very, very foolish, unwise, unspiritual decision. We'd rather defend the sin because it's our family than to take a stand and make sure that our family does right. The children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities, 20 and 6,000 men, that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered 700 chosen men. So against an army of 400,000, they've got an army of 26,700. The odds are, are against them. It's, all, it's like uh, 15 to one, something like that in battle. Verse 16, I preached a sermon about this group just a little bit. This is the tribe of Benjamin. Sadly, they were on the wrong side of the war. Among all these people, there were 700 chosen men, left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at an hairbreadth and not miss. Uh, left-handed. Very few people in the world are left-handed. Anybody here left-handed? We got a few cool people, Mrs. Ferguson, Mr. Clack, myself. Um, the rest of you are wrong. We're good. Uh, when I was in uh, first grade, kindergarten wasn't invented back in those days. Uh, I started first grade at, at the age of five, and uh, I was in the first class in that school that they did not take a left-handed child and tie his left hand down to the desk and make him learn right-handed. To me, that's torture. You know, DCF should have been invented then and called on those, but that's just how they did it. Um, in second grade, we learned cursive, and uh, Mrs. Gould was my second grade teacher. I was the only left-handed uh, child. And uh, we came in one day and she had our name written in cursive, every student on the chalkboard. And we had to go up 
And we had to try to figure out how to copy our name in cursive. And we weren't allowed to have recess until we could do that. And all the other kids figured it out and she could help them and so forth. When she got to me, she said, I have never taught a left-handed child in my life. I have no idea how to help you. You're on your own. Guess who didn't get recess that entire day? Um, we had a, a, like a, a real short recess at the end of the day and she felt sorry for me because I was just making marks on the chalkboard. Nothing was coming out on that. Um, so there were some challenges as a left-handed person that, that I had to overcome in all of that. Uh, and I'm not going to re-preach the sermon here. Uh, sometimes in, in battle in those days, most men are right-handed. Most people are right-handed. Uh, in war, um, if, if uh, you, you were going after somebody, you went after their sword arm. If you could disable their sword arm, that person is now unable to, to uh, defend themselves against you. Sometimes if the enemy captured uh, some soldiers, they would cut off their sword hand so that they could never be a threat again. So we don't know if these men were born left-handed and, and had to learn to fight in a right-handed world, uh, or if they were of that group that, that lost their, their hand in battle or were captured and, and rendered uh, you know, without their right hand at that time. But these left-handed men learned how to use a sling um, several of you, after I preached a sermon, got on YouTube and, and uh, sent me a bunch of videos. Uh, you'd be amazed at, at what they can do with a sling. Uh, it, somebody that's skilled at it, the stone coming out of the sling can go with the exact same force as a bullet out of the, out of the barrel of a gun. Uh, that's what David used against Goliath, and he hit him in the forehead, and the stone, the Bible says, sunk into his forehead. Um, and uh, so forth. So these 700 men, uh, the Bible says that they could sling a stone at an hair's breadth. That means they had outstanding vision, okay? Um, and uh, they practiced long and hard to do that. Um, and uh, boy, they were accurate on that. So there was this, this group, they were, they were kind of like the G.I. Joes or G.I. Benjamins or something like that. Uh, of this, this crowd. Like I said, sad thing they were on the wrong side of history though. Verse 17, the men of Israel beside Benjamin were numbered 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. The children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God. That's in Shiloh. That's where the, the tabernacle was set up all the way from the time uh, of Joshua. And they asked counsel of God, said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah, shall go up first. Somehow Judah was always the first one in chapter one when they're talking about who was going to go up first in the conquering and, uh, um, and the inhabiting of the land. The Lord said, send Judah. And he says the same thing now. Judah should go up first. The children of, uh, of Israel rose up in the morning and camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. Now when it says Israel... We're understanding it's only the tribe of Judah representing the nation, um, which means Benjamin and, and uh, Judah um, might be closer matched. It's not quite 400,000 to 26,000 and some change there. Um, and the children of Benjamin came, out, came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day, 20 and 2,000 men. It was a slaughter. It was a terrible slaughter. And uh, the good guys lost. The good guys lost. Um, by the way, when, when we have to fight against brethren, when sin comes into the camp, everybody loses to some 
degree is not that true. Everybody gets hurt uh, in that kind of thing. Um, and so the first day was, was bad. Uh, the men of Israel encouraged themselves. Uh, they felt that their cause was just and right. They set their battle array again in array at the pl- in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even. So they're all at, at Shiloh and they're weeping, weeping over the sin that's been committed, weeping over 22,000 men that have lost their lives, uh, weeping over just the damage being done to the nation of Israel. Uh, They asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. And the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again. 18,000 men, all these drew sword. It's really a sad circumstance, isn't it? Uh, 40,000 people are dead now. Uh, because of a group of men in the city of Gibeah that instead of serving the Lord, they were sons of Belial. They wrought such awful wickedness and uh, there's a big price to pay. Question, could God have let the children of Israel win on the first day? Could he? Let's let's ask, Let's, let's conjecture for the moment. Let's just kind of think about it. Why didn't he give them that absolute victory on the first or the second day? They asked if they should go up, and God said, go. So why did it seem to turn out so bad the first couple days? Any thoughts? Well, yeah, the the whole nation's kind of in a state of doing that, which is right. But in this case, they asked God, should we go up? And God said, yes. And for two days in a row, they lost the battle. Any, Any ideas why? Why didn't God give him the victory outright? <laughs> okay, he said, they must have done something bad somewhere. Uh, and we know from the book of Judges, there was a lot of that going around, uh, most certainly. But Tim? That's a, that's a good thing. The, the Bible doesn't say all we can do is kind of look at it and wonder and think it through. Uh, are they willing to trust him? Sometimes we're willing to trust God as long as everything turns out really well right away. It doesn't always do that, though. Uh, Sometimes there's some battles to be fought. Uh, Sometimes there's some other issues that have to be worked through. Uh, And the question is, are we going to continue on? If God says do it and it doesn't look like it's working out the way we thought it should, will we continue to go on? That's a good possibility. Any other thoughts? What's that? Oh, yeah, they're definitely, definitely a lesson for the tribe of Benjamin. Um, It was the men of Gibeah that did wrong, but Benjamin chose the wrong side in that. They chose to defend the wrongdoers instead of taking the stand uh, with the word of God. Um, It it might just be that that God was uh, putting that that illustration out there that we are connected one to another. Uh, The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are members one of another. When one member suffers, what happens to the other members? They all suffer. One member rejoices, what happens to the other members? Rejoice. We're we're interconnected. And the nation of Israel was family. And sin has entered into the nation. 
And uh, certainly God could have given the tribe of Judah a, a, a brilliant victory on day one. Look what he did with Gideon and 300 men rather than tens of thousands of men. Uh, God could have done that, but there may have been that, that lesson there saying you need to realize that what you do affects everybody else in the family. And uh, again, we're just conjecturing because the Bible doesn't come out and say this is why God did that. But sometimes it's good to take a step back and try to think that through uh, and see if there are any lessons for us to learn. Um, verse 26, then all the ch children of Israel and all the people went up and came, up, uh, came unto the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. So they're back at Shiloh. Uh, to the credit of the Israelites, the, 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 the other 11 tribes, they always kept going back to the house of God. Uh, and they wept and they fasted and they're, they're doing what they ought to do. They're not giving up on the Lord. Uh, God told them to do this and it, it's not turning out well and they don't understand. A lot of people have died. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a tenth of their army. Uh, is gone. So they go back. The Ark of the Covenant was there. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the, sin of Aaron, uh, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days. So this is only a couple of generations from Moses' day. So this is, uh, the, the period of the judges is 450 years. This is probably only 100, 150 years into the reign of the judges. Um, Again, we have to somewhat guess at that. Uh, so Phineas is the, the, the high priest, um, and they ask him, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? Notice they keep calling him their brother. Um, they were grieved about that. We, we ought to be grieved when a brother falls. Amen? Uh, we ought not rejoice in that, and sometimes, sometimes we have to confront and deal with things, but it ought to break our hearts. Uh, and they have this, uh, this, this mentality, shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? Should we just stop here? Is it enough? The Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. And Israel set liars in wait round about Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city and they began to smite of the people and kill as at other times in the highways of which one goeth up to the house of God. There is a direct path to Shiloh from there and the other to Gibeah in the field, about 30 men of Israel. So the, they, the, they, they borrowed from uh, the, the strategy God gave them at Ai, and they sent people behind the city of Gibeah, liars in wait, that uh, the, the people of Gibeah had no idea were there. The main army came from the front. Children of Benjamin came out, and they're filled with confidence. Uh, they've, they've had two uh, amazing victories um, in, in two successive days. Um, you understand they're an army of uh, a little over 26,000 people, and on the first day, they, they killed 40,000. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive victory. They're full of themselves. They're sure, they're sure of, of victory. And so the children of Israel come and the men of Benjamin rush out, unaware that there are soldiers hiding behind the city. Um, and uh, uh, about 30 people died. And the children of Benjamin said, they're smitten down before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee. Draw them from the city under the highway. So they, they, they fake a retreat. And the men of Benjamin just keep going out after them. We got them on the run, boys. This is ours. 
And the men of Israel rose up out of their place and put themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the liars of weight in weight of Israel came forth of their places, even out of the meadows of Gibeah. And there came against Gibeah 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was sore, but they knew not that evil was upon them. They had this big army in front of them. They didn't know there was 10,000 behind them uh, as well. And they're being caught in between. And the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel and the children of Israel destroyed of the Benjamites that day, 20 and 5,000 and 100 men. All these drew the sword. Almost the entire army is decimated in a single day. All of their victories of the two days before mean nothing now because they are reduced. And it's all because they decided to take the wrong stand with the wrong side. The children of Benjamin saw that they were smitten for the men of Israel gave place to the Benjamites because they trusted unto the liars in wait what they had beside Gibeah. And the liars in wait hasted, rushed upon Gibeah and the liars in wait drew themselves along and smote all the city with the edge of the sword. Now there was an appointed sign between the men of Israel and the liars in wait that they should make a great flame with smoke rise up out of the city. I mean, they're following the playbook of Ai uh, in Judges, I believe it's chapter 7, uh, almost to a T. They set the city on fire. Uh, but when the flame began to arise up out of the city with a pillar of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them and behold, the flame of the city ascended up to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned again, the men of Benjamin were amazed for they saw that evil was come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel unto the way of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And them which came out of the cities, they destroyed in the midst of them. We're going to uh, stop at this point. We're about a minute over time. Um, and uh, children of Benjamin made a, made a grave error. Uh, we're never going to be on the right side of things as long as we're standing with those that are doing wrong. Uh, they should have just dealt with the, the, the wrongdoers in the city of Gibeah, and everybody could have moved on. Uh, but sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And never, it never brings forth joy and gladness and righteousness in the long run. We're going to pick this up next Sunday morning, and we've got uh, one more chapter to go.